welcome. Welcome to the next part in our summer series through Colossians. Last time we looked at the fact that Paul writes his letter to the Colossians because he wants to draw them back to the centrality of Christ. His concern is that this young, faithful church is just starting to drift. In the midst of a complicated world with lots of noise around them, Paul reminds them of the uniqueness of Christ and the fullness of the gospel. If we try and add anything to the gospel, we have departed from the gospel. And today we're going to look at the second theme that we're drawing out of this amazing letter, and that's the theme of leadership. Leadership matters. Here in the UK, we've recently witnessed the coronation of a new king, King Charles III. We're all asking, what sort of king will he be? What influence will he have? Again, in the UK, we're about 12 months away from an election in this country. We'll be voting on leadership. In the USA, candidates are declaring for a presidential election in 2024. We observe organisations, institutions and nations moving in a certain direction, not because of the will or necessarily the well-being of the people of that nation or organisation, but because of the desires and the drive of their leaders. Leadership matters. Leadership is biblical. God is sovereign. The creation is God. He is the creator. We reminded ourselves last time that all things are created by Christ and for Christ. Nothing operates outside of God's sovereignty. And yet God in his wisdom and grace delegates leadership responsibility in his world to men and women, to you and me. Chapter 1 of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, says this, starting to read at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule or lead over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, or literally steward it. Rule or lead over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Leadership is God's idea. From this moment on, although God is ultimately always in charge, we see that God raises up leaders. Leaders to lead families, clans, tribes, and ultimately nations. Leadership is God's idea and is part of God's plan for the health of his children and his world. You might think I'm not a leader. Well, according to Scripture, you are. You're created in the image of God. You're created to lead in some setting. So Scripture is very clear. Leadership is God's idea. But one of the many things I love about Scripture is it is honest. We do not get an edited view of leadership. Those standing for office often will have a little bio, a little backstory about their leadership. And you know what? They mention all the good bits. But the narrative of Scripture is honest and authentic. 
the biblical world reflects our world and therefore is full of imperfect leadership. Some leaders in Scripture go through seasons of poor leadership. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David. Some seem to be inherently bad. Ahab, Pharaoh, Rehoboam, indeed most of the kings after David. But God does not give up on leadership. God's answer to bad leadership is not no leadership. It's good leadership. It's biblical leadership. And in Colossians, what we see in Paul is evidence of great leadership. So we're just going to track Paul's leadership through Colossians. It won't be a total biblical picture of biblical leadership, but it will give us some key characteristics of biblical leadership, of the way God wants us to lead. And my hope is it helps us in whatever sphere of leadership we have. So let's work through some of these verses. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. This introduction, though it follows the form of most first century letters, tells us things about biblical leadership. First thing it tells us is this, we lead not because of our desire, but because of the call of God. Paul is not a leader at this point because of his personal ambition. Paul is a leader by the will and the calling of God. He is doing what he is doing, not out of personal preference, but out of obedience. Secondly, Paul leads out of God's vision and God's plan, not his own. Most human leaders want to lead people into their vision of the future. And, and vision is God. Good, we know from Scripture, without vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29, verse 18. But Paul is not seeking to lead people towards a goal or a purpose that he has set by no means. He is an apostle of Christ. He has, apostle literally means a sent one. Paul knows he has been sent by Jesus, commissioned by the will of the Father, not for his purposes, but for God's purposes, the gospel. That's why Paul leads. Let's just read about his anointing as a leader from Acts chapter 9. The Lord told him, this is a man called Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Paul is not leading because he has an idea. He's leading because God has called him. And that's true about us. We don't look to lead because we have some plan to conquer the world. Even if we, if we really, oh, we're going to conquer the world for Jesus. No, it's not our plan. 
Biblical leadership comes under God's plan, under his vision, under his call. As we will see, biblical leadership is always servant leadership. The letter comes from Paul and Timothy. Biblical leadership is always about team. And the bigger the call, the bigger the team. Through Paul's letters, he is constantly referring to fellow workers. He doesn't seem often to refer to people who lead for him. He refers to people who lead alongside him. We see that in this letter. In verse 7, it says of the gospel, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Now he goes on to say he's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, but he's not suggesting that Epaphras is preaching Paul's gospel in that sense. No, it's Christ's gospel. I love the final verses of this letter as Paul rolls off name after name after name of those alongside whom he has ministered. Um, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, someone else he worked with, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Archippus. I mean, great names. But literally, you read any, at the end of most of Paul's letters, he just has these references to people, men and women, who he has worked alongside. Paul models biblical leadership because he does not lord it over anyone because there is only one Lord and they are serving Jesus together. So biblical leadership does not come from our desire to be impressive or or our vision. No, it comes from God's calling. It's to serve God. We do it together and we do it to encourage. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Paul says in this letter. Biblical leadership is rooted in prayer for those you serve. Now, we'll spend a whole sermon looking at prayer in a few weeks' time, but we need to note it here, that our leadership role, whether we're leading a church, a life group, whether we're leading in an office, in a school, whether we're leading in our families, the foundation of our leadership will be prayer. Prayer for ourselves, prayer for those we are leading. Paul leads under the call of God and for the blessing of God's people. It follows, therefore, that he must talk and listen to God about what he is doing. Prayers of intercession for those you lead are a vital part of biblical leadership. What else do we learn? Well, we learn that biblical leadership is not glamorous. This is what Paul says in verse 24 of the first chapter. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Biblical leadership is not glamorous. It is about serving and suffering, and considering that pure joy. Paul rejoices in his sufferings. Now, Paul is not suggesting in these verses that Christ's suffering on the cross was incomplete. That's not what he's saying. 
what he's recognizing is that for more people to become aware of Christ, for more people to hear the gospel, for more people to become aware of Christ's suffering on the cross, Christian leaders, Christians as they lead, must walk the same path as the ultimate suffering servant. Biblical leadership is not about being first. It's about placing others before oneself. Biblical leadership is foot-washing leadership. A friend of mine, Steve Page, is a poet, and he wrote this wonderful poem about biblical leadership. I just want to, I've asked his permission to share it with you. It goes like this. And when you lead, start with the feet. When you lead, you need to get down low with a towel and a water bowl. For when you lead, you'll find your honour not over, but under. Not first, but last. So when you lead, don't wait your turn, but push your way right to the back, where you'll find nothing to prove and nothing to hide and nothing to lose but your pride. Yes, while many will disagree, when you lead, bleed his example. Undo a sandal and start with the feet. Biblical leadership is servant leadership. Biblical leadership is about prayer. Biblical leadership is about encouragement. This little phrase that Paul writes in the first chapter, therefore do not let anyone judge you. We live in an increasingly judgmental world. Everybody has an opinion. People are happy to express it. Biblical leadership is not about judgment. Biblical leadership is not about telling people to shape up or get better. Biblical leadership is about lifting up those you lead. Biblical leadership will always lift the heads of those around them. Biblical leaders lift the heads of others, not so that the leader can be glorified, but so that Christ can be glorified. In this letter, Paul is not trying to lift the heads of his readers so that they fix their eyes on Paul and go, oh, Paul, you're so amazing. No, Paul would hate that. No, he's lifting their heads from the noise around them and a bit of confusion. He's lifting their heads so that they see Christ and who Jesus truly is, and who they truly are in Christ. Biblical leaders constantly call people to look at God that they might have a truer understanding of themselves. Biblical leadership is vulnerable and authentic. Sometimes in the world, we want our leaders to be perfect, if we're honest. We put them on pedestals. We want them to be untouchable until they fail and then we're quick to pull them down. But biblical leadership is authentic. Paul, this great apostle, great ministry, a man who wrote nearly a quarter of the New Testament, says to this young church, to these young believers in chapter 4, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ 
for which I'm in chains. He goes on to ask him to pray that he wouldn't miss an opportunity, that he'd do his very best. Paul not only leads within a team, he is open and honest about the fact he needs people. He needs the prayer of others. He's writing this letter to this church. There might be someone in that church who's been a Christian five minutes and he's saying to that young Christian, pray for me because I'm just like you. I might have the calling of a leader, the responsibility of a leader, but you know what? That doesn't mean I'm the head of the church. What does he say in Corinthians? Christ is the head of the church. He said in Colossians, Christ is the head of the church. I'm just a part of the church. I need you as much as you need me, so pray. Some scholars who track Paul's view of himself through his letters suggest that his view of himself becomes increasingly humble the more that he learns about Christ. What we see here is a leader asking for the help of others through prayer and asking for the encouragement of those he is leading. It is authentic, it is open, it is honest. Paul is not separating himself from those he leads He's saying, no, we're part of one body. So in summary, we have leadership displayed here. We have leadership which is displayed as it's called, it's not pushed for, it's open, it's honest, it's prayerful, it's servant-hearted. It's looking to lift others' heads that Christ might be glorified. What a glorious display of leadership that is. So how does that help us? Well, as we noted at the beginning, leadership is God's idea, and our world needs leadership. And we are all called to lead. Some of us may have a leadership title right now, either in the church or in the workplace or in the family. Some of us might have many spheres of influence where we're leading. But all of us are called to self-leadership. All of us are called to lead those around us towards the gospel. And this is how we should do our evangelism, as we're seeking to lead others to Christ. We need to recognize that call comes from God. We need to recognize that we're not saying to people, come and be like us. No, we're saying, come and meet the Savior I've met. Come and be like Christ. We're called to encourage, not judge. No one really comes to Christ if you tell them how bad they are. They need to know how much God loves them, so much that Christ died for them. Leadership in evangelism is meant to be prayerful. Who are we praying for right now that they might discover the blessing of God in Christ? Leadership through evangelism is meant to be encouraging. Of course we can spot what people are doing wrong. That's easy. It's so easy to look at someone's life and point out all the bits that aren't right. Please don't do that with me. It'll take you too long. What does the world need? It needs encouragement. People are creating the image of God. We need to be drawing that out through encouragement. Leading in evangelism needs to be authentic. 
We know, any one of us who's been a Christian for any period of time knows that that moment when you became a Christian, your life didn't go from total trouble to total joy, from, from total sinner to total saint, as we'll see in a few weeks' time. No, we're works in progress. We have to battle through all the things everybody else battles through. We don't need to pretend. No, we need to evangelise. We need to lead in our evangelism authentically. We need to recognize that every one of us as a believer is called to serve. I was praying the other day and this phrase came into my head that is used in, in English. is the customer is always right. I thought, why is, that in, why is that in my head, Lord? And I felt God say this, yeah, the customer is always right. But as a Christian, you're never the customer. As a Christian, Simon, you're always the one called to serve. You might be in a shop and someone might be serving you, but you're called to serve them, to encourage them, to honour them. I thought, wow, that changes my whole view of my day, when I get the bus into work, when I buy a cup of coffee, when I'm in a shop, even when I'm in the car and in a queue and I'm a bit frustrated with the person in front of me and I think, oh, that was my space you just dived in. No, no, they're the customer. You're the servant. Let them in. Honour them with a wave and a smile rather than a beep on the horn. You see, we're all called to lead. We're all called to lead people to Christ. And we're called to do that with authenticity and knowing that we are here to serve. We have died to self. Christ, the ultimate leader, died to self. Not just on the cross, he stepped out of heaven. Stepped out of a position of total leadership and glory into humanity. As Isaiah tells us, he was the suffering servant. He was, as the famous hymn said, the servant king, the servant leader. Why does Paul model servant leadership so well? Because he's following Christ. How do we lead in our lives, either in our role as a leader in work or in church or just as a Christian looking to serve others? Well, we do it with humility. We do it as a servant we do it to encourage. We do it with authenticity. We do it with prayer. We do it knowing that God has called every one of us to lead. Let's pray. Father God, what a commission you have given us. In Genesis 1, you call us to lead in our world. In Matthew 28, you call us to lead people to the gospel. Lord, help us this week full of your Holy Spirit to lead as you would have us lead for your glory and for the blessing of others. Amen.